The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either they will love the one and hate the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore, I say to you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or your body, what you will put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Look to the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap. They do not gather into barns and yet your father feeds them. Are you of not more value than they? And which one of you by Worrying can add an hour to your span of life. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. They neither spin nor toil. And yet I tell you that Solomon in all his glory was never arrayed as one of these. And if your father so clothes the grass of the field that today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O oh, you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Let's pray. Father, we believe that you inspired your servant Matthew to record these words of Jesus. And we believe these words not only had power for Matthew's day, but for today, if we will hear them. And so we pray, come Holy Spirit, open this text, open our hearts, that we would hear afresh, or maybe for the first time, this word to us that we would be changed more and more to be like Christ. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to be seated. I want to be less anxious. And I'm not talking about a clinical anxiety as much as I'm talking about a low-grade, ever-present, around-the-edges kind of anxiety that often in our own lives can then flare up right in the center. Jesus says in verse 25, therefore I tell you do not be anxious. And then in verse 31, again, he says, do not be anxious. Here as we're looking at Matthew 6 for the second week of a two-week series on this text, last week Jesus invited us into his doctor's office. Jesus, the great physician, said, come on into my office and let me give you your diagnosis. Here's why 
you're anxious. Today, Jesus, the great physician, will give us our cure. But we need to understand our diagnosis, the reason for our anxiety. In verses 19 to 24, Jesus gives us our diagnosis. He says, you are anxious because you are treasuring what cannot endure and you are trusting what cannot provide. You're treasuring what cannot endure, treasures on earth, moth, rust, thieves, destroy it versus treasures in heaven. Moth, rust, thieves cannot destroy that. We're anxious because we're foolishly treasuring what cannot endure, and we are anxious because we're trusting in what cannot provide. Instead of trusting in God, we're trusting in things or people or institutions, and that's called mammon. We're trusting in mammon instead of trusting in the only one who can fulfill our needs, the only one that is trustworthy, the only one who will never let us down. We're anxious because we're not trusting in God alone. And so that's why we're anxious. So Jesus, what's the cure? What's the cure? How do we be cured of our anxiety? Well, Jesus says, look at birds and flowers. Seriously, that's what he says. There's the cure. Look at birds and flowers. Uh, Go buy a bird feeder. Uh, Go start a garden. Look at birds and flowers. That's what Jesus says. Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed as one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Jesus says that the cure for our anxiety is to see birds and flowers. And as we do that, what we're seeing is a reminder of the Father's provision. You see, Martin Luther, I think, captured this really, really well when he said of these birds that Jesus is talking about, he said, Jesus is making the birds our schoolmasters and teachers. It is a great and abiding disgrace to us that in the gospel a helpless sparrow should become a theologian and preacher to the wisest of men. The birds and the flowers are preaching to us. They are giving witness and testimony to us of God's provision. They are demonstrating to us what we often forget or maybe even don't know in the first place, that we have a Father in heaven who provides. I don't know if you've heard this poem before, but I think it captures this brilliantly. Says the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, well, friend, I think that it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. I mean, we're anxious because we've forgotten what the birds and the flowers know. 
We have forgotten that we have a Father who will provide for us. Now, let's be clear. Jesus is not calling us not to work. This is not a call to laziness. This is not an excuse to just sort of put your hands up and say, well, Jesus, take the wheel. We are called to be active. We're called to work. Birds work hard. Birds are industrious creatures, but they do so without anxiety. They're not getting ulcers in their work. The flowers work hard. The beauty we see is due to complex layers of growth, but they're not spinning themselves anxiously into a midlife crisis. The birds and the flowers work hard, and yet they're demonstrating that God provides. God provides. Do you know the Father is really what Jesus is trying to say to us. Do you know the Father? Do you know you have a Father in heaven? Do you believe the good news of the gospel we find in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5? The good news that God in love predestined us. No, I'm not going to talk about predestination today. Don't worry. That God in love predestined us for adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Do we believe the gospel that God has come to those who are not the best and the brightest? You see, in the ancient Near East, there were lots of adoption that would go on. I mean, if you had a landowner who had no sons, sorry, ladies, it was a male inheritance system, but if you had a, a landowner, a wealthy person with no sons or worthless sons, they would go out and they'd find a good man in town. They'd find the best and the brightest and say, I'm going to adopt you as my heir. And as soon as that adoption happened in the ancient Near East, it was as good as the biological inheritance. You were totally that person's son. You had all the rights of adoption, all the rights of inheritance. But you see, the amazing thing in the gospel is that God does not come and say, well, I'm going to go look among the best and the brightest. I'm going to go find the best out there, the most moral, the most bright and, 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 and intellectually superior and, and good people. No, he comes and finds all y'all. I'm going to keep saying that every Sunday. All y'alls every Sunday. But he finds us. He finds real human beings who are broken, who have sin, who are immoral, who, who fail. And he comes to us and says, I'm going to do for you what you can't do for yourself. I'm not just going to forgive you. I'm not just going to say that you can live forever, but I'm going to make you my children. I'm going to adopt you. It's funny, in, in our family, you may have heard me say this before, but my youngest brother, I'm the eldest of three boys, my youngest brother, Philip, is adopted. And for Phil, I mean, this adoption has never, ever made him feel like he's in second-class status at all in our family. I mean, he really, I think, thinks he's the top of the heap. He will regularly remind my middle brother and I, my biological brother, mom and dad, you know, got stuck with you, but they chose me. <laughs> and it's true. The reality is God has come. Do we believe the gospel that God the Father has come and said, you're going to be my child? I'm going to make you my son. I'm going to make you my daughter. Do you know you have a father? That's what Jesus is saying when he says, look to the birds and look to the flowers. Remember the father and his provision. You see, what Jesus goes on to do then say is once you begin to believe this, once you begin to believe that God really is there and 
you have a father who's providing for you, not only does the anxiety start to dissipate, not only does the anxiety move to the side, but something else begins to fill that place that the anxiety once held in you. You're able to begin seeking first the kingdom of God. You see, the reality is that What's getting in the way of us seeking first the kingdom of God so often in our lives, you say, oh, Lord, I I really want to be about the kingdom business. I really want to allow the gospel to grab hold of more of my life. I really want to throw myself fully more into this. I want the purpose in my life that God has given me. But it's the anxiety about our stuff and our relationships and and our activities. All that anxiety holds us back so often from seeking first the kingdom of God. Verse 31, therefore do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear for? The Gentiles seek after those things and your father knows you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. What Jesus is really asking of us is are you seeking like a Gentile who doesn't have a father in heaven? Or are you seeking like a son or a daughter? Are you able to live your life with your focus on the kingdom because you know you've got a father who provides for you? Or are you not able to seek first the kingdom because you live like you're an orphan? You live like there is no father in heaven. You live like there is no one who will provide for you. It's funny because everything, seek first the kingdom of God, really means putting everything in our lives in that direction. It means putting the kingdom of God as the focus and driving energy behind everything. It's not sort of saying I've got this compartment of my life that is church and this compartment of my life that's sort of trying to live like a Christian and they've got these, all these other compartments. No, seek first the kingdom of God. It says take all the compartments and bring them to the Lord and say how is this going to be for your glory? How is this my job, my work, my relationships, my activities? How can this be seeking first the kingdom? Seeking first the kingdom of God with our stuff often looks like 2 Corinthians 9, verse 11. We have stuff, we have things, we have possessions. As we said last week, treasuring is not the problem. It's what we treasure and what we do with our treasure. 2 Corinthians 9, 11, you will be enriched in every way. Oh, I love that. Don't you love that? You will be enriched in every way. The verse keeps going, though. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. Oh, okay. But don't you see that? that This is about seeing our stuff, our possessions being made a kingdom focus. It's about letting the kingdom of God grab a hold of our possessions and say, all right, Lord, how can I use this for your glory? Seeking first the kingdom of God in our relationships. We've got all kinds of people in our lives. When the anxiety moves out of our lives, maybe we can begin to stop manipulating, controlling, putting our agendas and all our needs on those relationships and instead just say, Lord, how can I not leverage this relationship for something? How can I not try to get something out of this? How can I just be aware of this person? Recognize, here's a child made in the image of God. Lord, what do you want me to do in this relationship? I mean, that's, that's an, an unanxious, 
Seek first the kingdom approach to your relationships. Seek first the kingdom of God with our activities. I mean, there's all kinds of things we do. We're busy, and how do we take all of these activities, the good things and sometimes not so good things that we're called to, and see them focused towards the kingdom? Trust me, if you ask the Lord to reorient your activities and your relationships and your possessions towards the kingdom, he'll do it. Yesterday morning, we awoke, some of you know, to our house being teepeed, rolled. This is a new thing for an immigrant family. (laughs) We're sitting there at 8 o'clock in the morning looking at this saying, is this an assault on us or is this affection? And it was funny in that moment, the Lord really used this for his kingdom purposes. There we are trying to get all the toilet paper out of the trees. And man, we met. Here's the, here's, the, here's the silver lining. Here's the seek first the kingdom in that activity. We met almost every one of our neighbors. And they all walked by and said, oh, someone loves you. Or one of my girls. Do we allow all of our activities, all of our relationships, all of our stuff to be reoriented as we seek first the kingdom? And we can't unless we let the Lord deal with our anxiety, unless we know that we have a Father who provides. He wants to take our anxiety and fill us with a vision of seeking first the kingdom in all things. Now, you may say for a second, well, hold on a second. Um, This is all well and good for many of us. But how could this word possibly be spoken over the poor? Paul, Jesus, are you suggesting that we could go to a naked, starving child and say, it's okay. Don't be anxious. You've got a father who will provide for you. I mean, is that honestly what Jesus is saying? Absolutely. Listen to what John Stott says. Listen very carefully. This is a word about the father's provision for everyone. You can speak this in any setting, But hear what John Stott brilliantly says about this passage. He says, it does not seem to me that there's a simple solution to this problem, this challenge of, well, how do you speak this provision language over those who really don't feel like they're being provided for? He says, but one important point should be made, namely that the most basic cause of hunger is not an inadequate divine provision. It's not that the father is not provided for his children but an inequitable human distribution. The truth is that God has provided ample resources in earth and sea, but men hoard or spoil or waste these resources and do not share them out. It seems significant in the same gospel of Matthew, the Jesus who here says that our heavenly Father feeds and clothes his children later says that we must ourselves feed the hungry and clothe the naked and will be judged accordingly. Isn't that great? I mean, this becomes a universal word that can be spoken over the world. The Father provides. But church, if we're going to speak those words over the world, we'd better be prepared to be the means by which the Lord, our Father, will provide for those needs. Amen? We, Christ Church, have an amazing, amazing future before us, I believe. 
We are called to radically impact by the Holy Spirit this whole region, Plano, North Dallas, North Texas, huge impact. The people will look in and say, why does this community do what it does? Look how they love one another. Look how they love their community. Look how they reach out sacrificially. That's the vision that's before us. And God gets all the glory. You know, as every week, as we come in the last few weeks, as I'm walking in and getting my service bulletin ready, I'm, you know, saying, oh, Lord, I hope they turn to the second page. I hope they see the little chart on the second page, the giving chart. Oh, Lord, as we're singing the gradual, and especially as we're singing the offertory, Lord, help them see the graph. Talk about anxiety. I need this sermon. We look and see what the Lord is putting before us still by our year end. This is where we are every year, and every year the people of God step up and give sacrificially and generously. But you know, friends, here's, here's what I've been thinking this week as I've been preparing for this. This is not our goal. Like, this is a goal we need to reach. I mean, just the wardens are hearing me. This is the goal. But the goal is radical generosity. The goal is far beyond this. And I would challenge that in our community, I desire to see us so exceed this goal in our generous giving in the next seven weeks or so. So exceed this goal and just see what then we can do. I mean, this goal here helps us continue to do all the things we're doing right now to reach in the community. All the mission, all the outreach, all the gospel ministry, all the children's ministry, seniors ministry, ministry to crisis. But if we go beyond this goal, man, I can't wait to dream with you about what we could do with the leftover. What we could do with that in mission for the sake of the gospel. But to do that, we need to get rid of our anxiety and seek first the kingdom. I want to be less anxious. The diagnosis has been that we're anxious because we're treasuring what cannot endure and we're trusting what cannot provide and the cure is to look at the flowers and look at the birds to be reminded of the father's provision and friends if you want real proof if you want the greatest example the greatest picture that's been given to us that the father will provide your father provides is you look no further than the cross You want to know that the Father provides? Look to the cross. I know I quote it almost every Sunday, and I'm not going to stop. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. Here's how we know our Father provides. What then shall we say of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us. Will he not give us everything else? He did not spare his own son for you? And you're worried about food and drink and clothing? He who did not spare his own son for you? How will he not give us all things? Nothing teaches us to trust in the Father's provision more than looking to the cross. You know, the 
as I was working on this um, and praying through this this week, um, I was reminded of one of my favorite words in hymnody, um, the word Ebenezer. Uh, last week we sang, Come Thou Fount. Um, and the word Ebenezer is in the older version. I like the modern version of the hymns, but sometimes we lose some of the old words. And the word, here I lay my Ebenezer, and it got sort of dropped from the hymnals because people would say, what is that all about? And it's from 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12. And after um, Israel's been rescued again by the Lord and they've beat back the Philistines, in chapter 7, verse 12, Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer. For he said, thus far the Lord has helped us. And the reason I love that word Ebenezer is that for Christians who know the whole story, who know more than what Samuel knew, can you imagine that? I mean, we've met the Lord. We, we, we know the whole story of the gospel of our salvation in Jesus. This is our Ebenezer. This is our mount of remembrance that tells us Thus far the Lord has helped us. Do you doubt your father's provision? Here I lay my Ebenezer. Do you doubt that he will provide? Do you want your anxiety dealt with? Here I lay my Ebenezer. Hither by thy help I've come. And I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God, he to rescue me from danger, interposed his precious blood. And our response? Oh, to grace, how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.